All right, I'm going to walk around orientation, get people on here for a podcast, so say something. <laughs> say something. Who you are, where you were. You look so excited to be on camera, on, on microphone. Yeah, it's like a torture. Taser. Well, it looks like a go- like one of those Ghostbuster things. Man, names are weird now. Right? Yeah. <laughs> what are you guys doing? Is my name and where I work? Yeah. Hi, I'm Shelby Richens, and I work at Amory Body Arts in Santa Cruz, California. Very professional sounding. <laughs> professional voice is really good. And yeah. now I don't have to do it because I work there too. Yeah. Yeah. And Adam. Yeah. So, and Adam. Yeah. And Adam. Don't worry dot, about dot, dot. And Adam. Pardon me. I have to hug Hi. You look very athletic. I thought you are from Kentucky. <laughs> Wizards and warriors continues with iron sword. The evil wizard Malkil will take the shape of the earth, wind, water, and fire. Farewell! The fate of the world is in your hands! You're listening to the Piercing Wizard Podcast, and I'm your host, Ryan Willette. I'm a professional body piercer with 20 years experience. I travel around the world teaching technique and safety classes, and I'm a member of the Association of Professional Piercers. Listen in as I talk to my friends and colleagues about our industry so we can all stay sharp. All right. Uh, I don't even really know where to begin. Um, really long week, really hard week, but um, a really, really good week. Uh, APP Conference 2018, pretty incredible. Um, I, I think a lot of other piercers who have gone year after year were kind of in the same boat where they were maybe not psyched to go out this year, you know, thinking if there was industry drama or tension or just whatever, you know, we're stressed out with our lives or with waiting four months for jewelry orders, you know, but um, going to conference is probably one of the best things you can do for yourself uh, if you're a body piercer, whether you're, you know, one year in or, or 20 years in, and it's it's incredible. It's a life-changing week, uh, regardless of how many times you've gone, and this year was really no exception, you know, it, it was a really, really good week. Um, I don't even know where to begin with a recap. Uh, I just want to say thank you first off to um, you know lots of lots of people that that were important to make the week a success. So um, you know all the volunteers and all the instructors and all the scholars and all the sponsors and you know the the other people on the board of directors. You know I'm always impressed by the amount of hard work and dedication and just how smart these people are and, and how much um, how much work they put in for, for no money just, just because they care. So um, really impressive and I, I'm really proud to, uh, to count myself uh, amongst those people. Uh, some, some highlights for the week, you know, I, I feel like my classes went really, really well. You know, I did two sessions of safe practices in the piercing room. I uh, got really good responses, really good feedback from that. I had my friend Baron sit in on the second, uh, the second class later uh, towards the end of the week, and, and that was just really fun. And I, I think maybe I'm going to try to pull him back in for, uh, for those classes again next year to help me out uh, if I get chosen to, to do those again. I did the Piercing Young Miners class with Becky Dill. I thought that went awesome. Uh, again, we got some really strong feedback. Uh, we had never taught together before, you know. So going back, um, there, there's an older episode of, of this podcast that we did from a couple of months back where we were kind of planning the class, and it was just cool to kind of, you know, get that same energy. You know, it, it, it worked. You know, I, I think uh, I think it worked really well. I think the two of us should maybe instruct something else in the future. Um, 
My bedside manner class with Jesse also went really good. I was kind of nervous about that one because we didn't really have a lot of time to practice it. We only went over it maybe about 20 minutes the day before. Um, but you know, again, you know, Goose and Maverick, we we nailed it. So um, that went really well. Same thing. We got a lot of really good feedback. I I pitched that class because most of the bedside manner classes were all about um, kind of like connecting with the client and you know breathing and energy and 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 stuff like that you know and it never really resonated for me you know I, i'm definitely an introvert so the class i pitched was a uh, bedside manner for the introvert and the extrovert and you know jesse is definitely fulfilling that extrovert role um he kind of talked about how he likes to interact with clients i like to talk about how i interact with clients as, a, as an introvert and i think that helped a lot of people that were that were in the class you know not everybody is an introvert or an extrovert, you know, there's that ambivert with maybe stronger tendencies one way or the other, but we wanted to kind of show a dual perspective, you know, it, it's important for people to understand that they don't have to fit into an exact mold. Uh, they can take information and they can kind of use it however they want in, in their own practice. Couple uh, shout outs that I want to give just to some of the, the new attendees that I got to meet this week. Um, some of them I had known before from classes or shadowing or just interacting online, but it was just cool to see uh, to see some, some different people out there. Um, big shout out to Victoria Rothman uh, coming out from New York. It was really cool to see her there. Um, she got uh, set up with Whitney Thompson as kind of a, a mentor figure for the week, and I really don't think it can do better than that. So it was just cool to see um, to see Victoria making the most of the week, checking in with her every now and then. Always had a, a good smile on her face, so that was nice to see. Uh, Megan Davenport got to see her again. She came to one of my classes in Florida, and uh, we got to hang out a little bit and, and catch up that week, so that was really cool. Uh, Joe Giuliano, Brian Moeller, I know they're not first time attendees, but you know, they're my buddies from back home. So it was just kind of good to, to see them and hang out. Brian is, um, he's a really cool piercer, you know, like I, I met Brian when he was kind of like working towards a goal. And, and now that he's kind of in that goal, you know, APP member studio and, and all that, um, it's really cool to see him stepping up and, and taking on some additional responsibilities with the APP. And, you know, Brian is a, a big part of the conference committee and, and successful AV at conference. You know, Brian's always running around, putting in a lot of work, you know, with Aiden Johnson and, and Gus Diamond and, and a few others, you know, really making sure that classes are, are super successful. So um, big thank you to everybody on the AV team. You know, I know that I needed a lot of your support during the week. And uh, extra special shout out to, and I really hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly, um, Vishal Rose uh, from Canada. So um, Vishal said some very kind things about my podcast, and uh, it was just really cool to see someone uh, so inspiring and, and so motivated and so energetic in the industry. You know, and I know that you said that you were getting inspiration from other piercers to um, kind of keep your piercing career going, but you know, you got to understand that. Uh, someone with your kind of energy, you know, you're doing the same for everybody else too, you know. Um, so it was definitely an inspiration. Uh, you definitely energized me. And now that I'm back home, I'm, I'm ready to get back to work. You know, I don't feel like I'm in as much of a lull or humdrums. You know, I've got some plans, um, some, some cool ideas maybe on the horizon, some new projects and some new work. And I, I really want to get some stuff done with, uh, with the APP, the outreach committee especially. Had a really good meeting towards the end of the week where uh, you know we came up with some ideas and you know if we can get uh, even half of those done you know this time next year we might have some really cool stuff to announce at APP 2019. So uh, let's get into this week's interview. Um, it's a, a, a body piercer of note that I think maybe a few of you might have heard before, uh, Mr. Jim Ward. 
Jim Ward is responsible for uh, essentially the the birth of the professional piercing industry. Um, opened the world's first professional piercing studio, the Gauntlet, and it's just really cool. Anytime I get a chance to sit down with Jim, um, you know, we interact a little bit online here and there. You know, Jim is still active in APP projects. You know, if you're not aware of it, uh, Jim is the person who does all the layouts and um, a, a lot of the design work for the Point, the the, the APP's newsletter. So it's really cool to to talk to someone like Jim and, and get a little bit of that uh, lifelong perspective. So uh, this interview, we kind of go somewhere that um, a, a lot of newer piercers are nervous to go to, and, and that's um, talking about uh, erotic piercings and, and sexuality in piercing, you know, and, and I don't mean to say it in, that it's like in the creepy sense, you know, because there can definitely be creepiness when it comes to sexuality and body piercing too. Uh, there are definitely lots of things that belong in the bedroom and not in a, a piercing studio, but um, it's it's always important to remember that that's where a lot of our industry came from. You know, it, it started as kind of uh, a fetish or a kink for some people, and then you know they they took their hobby and, and their enthusiasm and they they turned it into a business and and developed it into what we have now. You know, and it's definitely more fashion centric now you know I'd, I'd say that right now is kind of the age of like the Instagram piercer and we kind of ex explore that topic you know um, are younger piercers nervous to talk about genital piercings with their clients are they nervous to maybe make suggestions about um, how people can use body piercing to uh, increase their sex life in a healthy way you know you can definitely still ride that that line of being a professional and still be able to talk to, to people about personal elements in their life you know as long as you do it with respect, you do it with care, you do it with professionalism, um, and you realize that, uh, you know, we're there to offer our clients a service, you know, we're not there to prey upon clients or be creepy about it, you know, so you do not take your own sexuality and, and put that on someone else's shoulders, you know, if you personally are turned on by the thought of body piercing or, you know, if you're attracted to a client, uh, in the piercing room is not the place to make that known. Um, and I think that some people take it to the the polar opposite of that, where they're so worried about um, consent and harassment and uh, professionalism that they kind of uh, skew away from from the piercings that they would maybe consider risky. Uh, but you know, it, again, you're professionals. Um, you can talk to adults as adults. Uh, you know, make sure that they are interested adults. You know, if they're asking questions, answer those questions. Um, if they're not asking those questions, you know, maybe that's not the right conversation to have with someone. But uh, it's just really important to understand that as a professional, uh, you need to be well-rounded. You need to be versatile. Uh, genital piercing is an important part of our industry and, and our history. And it's not something that I want to see lost a, a little bit generation by generation. So, you know, we don't necessarily want a, a generation of piercers who are world-leading experts at doth piercings and nostrils and putting gold here and putting gold there, but they're not capable of something like a VCH or a Prince Albert or a Geish or a labia piercing. So um, if any of you newer piercers out there have been a little bit nervous about uh, you know, expanding your, your portfolio and, and getting experience with those types of piercings, um, don't be nervous. You know, everybody kind of starts at the same place um, and get out there, you know, shadow other piercers that have more experience. 
um, get a mentor, talk to somebody online, go to a class, come to conference next year, you know, um, explore these things because if you don't have that card in your deck, it's kind of a disservice to clients, you know, um, there are going to be clients out there who want those services and if they can't go to you, if they can't go to a, a safe and, and reliable piercing studio, what are their options? You know, is it doing it themselves? Is it going to uh, a piercer who's not qualified or not working in a safe environment? So um, don't forget, you know, body piercing doesn't stop at the belt. Um, so that's a, a conversation that we explore with Jim Ward, you know, definitely one of the, the world's leading experts on body piercing and especially when it comes to erotic piercings, you know, the perfect person to talk to. So let's get into this week's interview with Jim Ward and there are a few cameos from his husband, Drew Ward, so enjoy. Well, my name is Jim Ward. Some people have called me the father of the modern body piercing industry. Um, I do have a website. It's primarily to sell my book and a few posters. And that uh, website is www.runningthegauntlet-book.com. And uh, you know, for the for the people listening, if you're interested in body piercing and you haven't read that book, it's definitely, I, I would say it's a, a must read, especially for younger generations of body piercers. I, I've been talking to a few people this week and the common theme that people are bringing up is a criticism of piercers that have just a few years of experience is that they just don't have perspective and they don't have versatility. And a lot of people think that it's because piercers now are like the Instagram piercers, you know, mm. like they're, they're good at what's popular. But outside of that, they're a, a little bit weaker in their skill set, you know, and they certainly don't know much about history. You know, someone who had like a huge impact on the industry, if it was more than five or ten years ago, some of those names, they're not they're not recognized anymore, you know. And I think that's a shame because when I when I got into body piercing, I was voracious to learn not what was available to me now, but what was available five years ago, ten years ago, twenty years ago, and all of that shaped who I wanted to be as a body piercer, you know, I would, sure. I would look at names like yours and, and everyone else, you know, and, uh, think like that, that's the pinnacle for me. Like I want, I want to work hard enough that one day maybe my name will have that kind of esteem or, or, or something, you know, like have sure. that lasting impact and, and legacy, you know? And, right. um, I don't, I don't understand how sometimes piercers can be an expert at, this one piece of gold in this one location and then that's their whole perspective on the industry. So I, I think it's really important to uh, document and preserve and, and consume as much of that information as, as possible. Oh, certainly. Yeah. Well, my history with the whole body piercing thing depends on how where there are different <laughs> marks in this history, you yeah. know, in this timeline. I mean, I was, I developed this fetish fascination fantasy for piercing back in the late 60s was, was there anything like that drove it was it something you saw or was it something more internalized I think that there were a couple of things that triggered it uh, one was I had discovered in my sexual explorations that I enjoyed nipple play mm -hmm. that played into it and then about it was in the late 60s, around 1968, I read this uh, article in a magazine about some guy who had gone around the world uh, on a boat and his sea voyage and all this, and then when he'd gotten back, uh, he had pierced his ear mm -hmm. as a, a memorial of that feat. Mm -hmm. um, 
which I subsequently learned was actually an old naval tradition. Right, I, I think I've heard that before, yeah. And some people will tell you that nipple piercing was also a naval tradition. Uh, you'll have to talk to Paul King mm -hmm. for verification because he's our historian. Right. But whether there is any actual documentation, I cannot tell you. Right. I know that uh, he was talking, uh, has talked about, um, you know, those collections like the uh, the Cobalt the collection and... Uh, so many of those old photographs are of, uh, probably of old sailors. Mm -hmm. And there are some of them that show, you know, that they have their nipples pierced. Right. So whether that's a proof of, of actually marking whatever, sometimes it's said you go around the world, sometimes it's how many times you cross the right. equator. Yeah, I've heard that. I've heard it going around the Horn of Africa, and I've heard... I've heard various and sundry yeah. stories, and I don't know, maybe... None of them are true, and maybe all of them are true, right. but I don't know. At any rate, I read this article in this magazine, and there was just something about it that, that triggered something in my psyche. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to get my my ears pierced mm -hmm. first, uh, or ape and ear, um, was the first thing that uh, occurred to me. Mm -hmm. And at that time, I was living in New York, and I belonged to a a gay SM uh, club mm -hmm. called the New York Motorbike Club. And I had a buddy who was, had been a merchant seaman and he had lots of tattoos and stars tattooed on his earlobes with piercings in them. And I asked him if he would pierce my ear, which he did subsequently, and we, we became really good friends. Mm -hmm. um, but after that, this fantasy sort of began to take formation of, you know, I've got my ear pierced, but gee, wouldn't it be hot to pierce my nipples? And I, at that point in my life, I had never seen or heard of anyone with pierced nipples. Okay. Uh, and then this fantasy just kept persisting. And at some point, one weekend, I, I, I had an ex-lover who was a watchmaker, and he had a little tool kit with some tools, watchmaking tools, and a little spool of gold wire. Mm -hmm. And I suspect it was probably like 22 gauge, at most 20 gauge, yeah. it was very thin. And I made these little loops that were about probably three-eighths of an inch, and there was no closure, nothing, but that was what I decided I would use. Mm -hmm. So I made these little rings, and I got a push pin and the cork from a wine bottle and rubbed some alcohol on my nipples and then I put the cork on one side and the pin on the other and pushed through mm -hmm. which uh, that part wasn't too bad yeah. but then it was the putting what, the jewelry in what do, how do I get these rings yeah. in there um, and that took a little bit of fiddling as mm -hmm. any piercer knows who's lost the piercing right uh, we didn't have insertion tapers in the, those days. That's because you didn't invent them yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So I did get eventually get the rings in, and then I kind of freaked out. And, oh, what have I done? So I took them out. But it was one of those fantasies that wouldn't mm -hmm. die. Right. So what, what kind of age would you guess that you were at at this point? Well, let's see. In the late 60s, uh, I was probably... 
I was born in the early 40s, about in my late 20s. Okay. So, any rate, uh, I had those nipple piercings for much of my my adult life, mm-hmm. and only lost them when I had to have chemotherapy. Yeah. So the the original piercing and just changed jewelry over the years. Yes. Well, gradually over the years, I stretched the piercings, and I don't think I went any larger than 14 or 12 gauge. Mm-hmm. I can't remember at this point, but um, those were my first piercings and that's how I got I found the awakening found, of that connection. Right. Um, when did you get to a point where you wanted to kind of interact with other people who had the same interest or was it you kind of being an exhibitionist and showing what, what you had done and other people found it appealing or did you find other people who had, they had found body piercing on their own too? A little bit of both. At first, I was very closeted about it. And then um, I moved from New York to Colorado and got involved with another SN group there. Uh, And the first other person that I ever pierced was a guy from one of the leather clubs in Omaha Mm -hmm. who had come for a run that the Denver club was doing. It was a club called the Rocky Mountaineers. I don't remember the name of his club, but he saw my nipple rings and he really wanted his nipples pierced. Mm-hmm. So I did the same old thing with the pushpin and the wine bottle cork. Um, and he was happy and I was okay with it, mm-hmm. you know, what What did I know? Yeah. So that was my first interaction with another person as far as piercing them. I also had a, a flatmate, a housemate, who got really fascinated with it, and he pierced his chest. I think what we now, I, Gauntlet originally called it a Madison. Yeah, I mean, that's how I would refer to it, too. But it's come uh, through with a lot of, everybody has a different name for her. Yeah, I, it's still a Madison to me. Yeah. And that's what he did. He pierced himself mm-hmm. and put in a, a ring and wore it for a long time. And eventually, at a certain point, it just decided it didn't want to be there anymore. And right. it pulled yeah. itself out. But uh, he was another one of those people that, along the way, mm-hmm. I interacted with in terms of piercing. He was inspired by my piercings. I, in turn, was to back up a bit, was inspired by... A guy in New York named Fernando, mm-hmm. who I just happened to see in the leather bar, standing there with his shirt off and gold rings in his nipples. Mm. And it was like, aha, you know, I'm not the first person who thought of this. Right. Yeah. And that had a lot to do with the beginning of my quest. So, uh, jumping forward a few years, you know, once you've kind of uh, started to create more of a technique for it and you know you started to kind of share that technique uh, amongst other people um, and it kind of took off was it still more of a, a subculture before it got to the point where you were opening a storefront uh, I know you, you've talked about like the tattoo and piercing parties and private events and things like that um, how did that come to be like were you looking at it as uh, I'm sharing this with my with my social group um, or was it did you look at it as clientele at that point, or did you look at it as still this is this is personal, this is for fun, this isn't this isn't a service or a business yet? Well, 
When I moved uh, from Den, I moved from New York to Denver, and then after a few years in Denver, I moved to Los Angeles. And one of my buddies from the Rocky Mountaineers in Denver had moved to Los Angeles mm -hmm. before I did, and it had nothing to do with me. But we reconnected when I got there, mm -hmm. and he had taken a, a job as a bus driver, and it was all. It was like fate, you know. He had a, a daily rider who got on his bus and went downtown, and they got to a point where they would chat during their trip downtown. And this guy, whose name was Tom, um, one day some man got on the uh, bus with a ear piercing, and their conversation started to be about piercing. Right. And, a rod the bus driver who was my friend said oh I know a guy who's got his nipples pierced and Tom said oh I'd like to meet him and then it was through Tom that I met Fakir who was not Fakir in those days but uh, became and then I also met Doug Malloy mm -hmm. who was actually my mentor and friend and inspiration um, to back up to your question I felt very much like a missionary. Okay. I came at the this to me piercing was about something erotic. Mm -hmm. I kept saying, you know, when you put all that little piece of metal in a strategic location, mm -hmm. it will enhance your sex life. Right. And this was very much where I came from. And I'd love to see it go back to or become more important than it is. Um so I felt like I wanted to spread the word that, you know, you can make your sex life better this way. Right. And not just physical, mental too. Sometimes it's just kind of, I don't know, if it's, it's not necessarily reclaiming, you know, but it, it's, I don't know, changing, changing a part of yourself to express your sexuality in a, in a visible way, in a functional way. You know, I, I found it important through my life too. And I think some of those interactions, they're, they're few and far between now, kind of sadly, but... Sometimes those people come in and they want something, but they're not sure what. And I, right. some of my favorite conversations, you know, we go in, into a private area and I talk to them about like, well, what are you trying to achieve with this? Is this for you? Is this for a partner? Is this like a mental turn on for you? Or do you want something physically functional? And those are some of the best conversations to just learn why someone wants it and what they want out of it. I love those conversations. Well, this is also touches on uh, some of the things that I picked up from Fakir. Uh, piercing and tattooing in Western society really functions in, to a great deal as a rite of passage, mm -hmm. which is a part of the, the human psyche. It's just that a part of us really needs some way to mark events in our lives. Mm -hmm. And one of the strongest, most driving uh, of those is that transition from child to adult, mm -hmm. that puberty right. And I think that for me, that was a, a lot of what we were doing was fulfilling this, this need. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, as you become an adult, you also develop your, sex, your sexual sexuality and your sexual identity. Hopefully. 
Does that answer your question? Well, it, <laughs> it does. Sort of. Yeah. It, uh, um, it's difficult to ask the right question when I, when I can't really find the words to articulate it, but I, I think one of the one of the main things I want to try to explore is, you know, why sexuality has been so removed from body piercing to not ev- not to everyone, but to right. a, a fair amount of people. And I understand that you know the times we live in and political sensitivities and th- and things like that. But um, I, I don't want it to get to a point where people don't consider body piercing to be something sexual. And it doesn't have to be solely that. Certainly, you know, oh, no, you, you can you can not. get whatever you want for whatever reason. But uh, I, I do feel like each generation of piercer that I meet, you know, every two to three years, fewer and fewer people think about it in those terms. And how many how many newer piercers I meet now who have said they've never performed a genital piercing at all? And I, I can't even wrap my head around that. I, mm. When I first found body piercing when I was, you know, 16-ish or something like that, you know, within a, two years, you know, I had quite a few genital piercings because it was just it was part of body exploration it my body exploration for me didn't stop at the the belt line you know and it was just I want to explore you know maybe not keep it long term or or whatever but I wanted to explore what was possible with it Mm -hmm. and then when I started becoming more of a professional body piercer um, I I really wanted to explore every avenue possible working on other people and a huge a huge draw for me was genital piercing because it's just so personal for people, you know. Oh, yeah. A lot of times, they're not just getting it for an aesthetic reason, like a, a nostril piercing or something else. They're getting it for a, a deeper draw. And, and sometimes people just don't feel like themselves until they've gotten their genital piercing mm-hmm. in some situations, you know. And I don't, I don't want generations of piercers to lose that. No, of course not. Yeah. Uh, this is Drew Ward, Jim Ward's husband. Um, my thought was that when genital piercings were uh, the primary sort of piercings people got it was when piercing hadn't exploded on the scene with the general public and I think that when body piercings became so much more visible and popular people latched onto it as an aesthetic uh, just like they do with tattoos they tattoos used to be uh, much less popular mm-hmm. um, so if you have the average person who thinks this is a really cool look, that's why they get the piercings. While some people, a smaller percentage of them, uh, approach body piercing from the point of view, this is really hot for my sex life. Mm-hmm. You, you can kind of see over the last few years with tattooing and piercing, it's gone from the center of the person, you know, nipple piercings, genital piercings, tattooed chests and things like that. And now it's, it's, it's moving external. You know, now people start tattooing their hands and their arms first and they start piercing their face and their ears first, you know, and then maybe they'll work their way in eventually. But mm. it's, it's, now it's becoming more for someone else to look at rather than for them to experience themselves. And, you know, maybe I, it'll come back around again. I certainly, I certainly hope, hope so. I think what we noticed was that shift really happened about the time the book Modern Primitives came out in 1989. Right. Where they saw people being more extreme and outward with it? That and also that uh, music video that Paul did. Right. The uh, Aerosmith. Yeah, the Aerosmith, Aerosmith. video. Uh, that just... <laughs> navel piercing just right. exploded. And then simultaneously, all in this, this all happens in roughly the same time period 
you get fashion designers like Jean-Paul Gaultier, who's having pierced models on his runway. Mm -hmm. uh, and it all starts to feed this aesthetic approach to piercing. And the erotic aspect kind of gets swept under the rug. Yeah. Which I, I feel wistful about, you know. <laughs> it's like, oh. Yeah, it's disappointing. Um, and when certain piercers say, well, I've never done a genital piercing. And I, my question for them is like, well, you have genitals, right? Like, you're a body piercer. I, it, I can't wrap my head around a piercer who's never pierced themselves, you know? And like I've pierced myself so many times, it's almost absurd, you know? And yeah. um, so, you know, if someone's nervous or intimidated about that, try it on yourself and enjoy that experience and explore that experience. And then you can maybe understand the draws that other people will have to it, you know, when you've gone through it. It's inconceivable to me because it's kind of like having a toolkit with a bunch of missing tools. Right. <laughs> How can you call yourself a piercer if if you aren't well-rounded mm -hmm. and if somebody comes in and says I want a Prince Albert or I want a labia piercing you should be able to say sure I know how to do that yeah I mean I can understand um, you know if if someone is very early in their career and they have to kind of work their way up to certain things I understand that but you know if it's to the point where you just don't explore it and you don't pursue it you know or, or find friends or models or co-workers or yourself or, or something to, to get that practice and everybody has to start somewhere and you can't just you can't be an expert on all these things and then expect that oh sure I could just do an ampling tomorrow right. if I wanted to although it troubles me if somebody is hanging out a, shim a shingle saying I'm a piercer mm -hmm. And they're not fully qualified. Right. In my estimation, they are not fully qualified if they can't do whatever. At least some genital piercings, you know, PAs, VCH, geesh, like things like that, that like, I wouldn't say that any of those are more complicated than doing a nipple piercing or a tongue piercing. None. It's just maybe they have the intimidation factor of, I don't want to talk to people about their sexuality and ask if they'd be open to experimentation. I, I think so many people are sheltered where they think, if I say the word sexuality or if I say some sort of a, a triggering word, that's going to make me unprofessional or dirty. But it's mm -hmm. like sex isn't dirty. You know, you can present it in a dirty way, but sex itself isn't dirty. So, you know, you're an adult. You know, I would imagine your clients would be an adult. You know, you can have an adult conversation with them. Sometimes people come into my studio and they say, I wanted to get something so I could feel sexy. You know, I'm, I'm going through a divorce or I lost a lot of weight and I want to, I want to feel sexy about myself. And it's like, well, have you ever thought about maybe a nipple piercing or, or maybe a genital piercing, you know, rather than, than just a nostril piercing or something. And sometimes you can see the, the switch flick for someone. They'd be like, oh, I never, I never thought of that. Is that, is that you can do that, you know? And, and just to see the, the, the light bulbs go off for people right. is really interesting. Sure. Yeah. When it goes to um, the point where you're moving towards having a professional studio and, and creating the Gauntlet brand and all that stuff, did you still have something that you you did for yourself privately and private parties things like that whether it was in a professional environment or outside of a, a professional environment or do you feel like some of that started to kind of taper away as you created the gauntlet brand well of course in those early days piercing was so limited mm -hmm. in, in the, the actual number of people pierced people or people interested in piercing and as I've talked about before when Doug and I kind of came up with this whole idea of starting Gauntlet mm -hmm. um, Doug was a multi-millionaire 
He'd been around the world. I'd, he'd studied as much as he could glean about uh, piercing in primitive cultures, mm -hmm. tribal cultures. And also he had been able to somehow or other make contact with people around the world who were interested in, pierce, mm. in piercing. And also when he returned to LA, he had put ads in some of the gay press, you know, to try and see if there was anybody local that was interested. So he had, I'm guessing about a hundred people that he knew and had a mailing list for. Mm -hmm. And of those, there were probably 20, 25 people in the, the Los Angeles area who were potential customers for Gauntlet. Right. And so we came up with this idea of starting this group, this club, to uh, kind of network with people and, mm -hmm. and inspire each other and uh, build the business, essentially. So we would... Uh, <laughs> Doug was so funny. He. We looked at, well, what should we call this group? And he thought, well, I think it should be called the Society of St. Sebastian, mm -hmm. which uh, sounded kind of highfalutin to me. And in the end, we just ended up calling it the T&P group for mm -hmm. tattooing and piercing. Right. And we'd get together about once a month and uh, either do a potluck or sometimes we'd go to a restaurant mm -hmm. and then come back to my house or one of the other people's houses and whoever wanted piercings got piercings. They paid for the jewelry and I would install it. Hmm. And that's really played a big part in growing the business. Right. And I kept, you know, reinforcing the, the message as it were, uh, which gradually began to, to spread. I mean, there was, um, there were some of the the heterosexual BDSM folk mm -hmm. in the in the area. There was Mistress Antoinette and Master Zorro in Orange County. Those are great names. I'm just Ryan. I need a, <laughs> a good stage name. So we got to know them. They showed up for the grand opening when I opened the the studio, mm -hmm. and uh, we subsequently met Bob Flanagan and Sherry Rose. And the word, you know, it began to grow, you know, we'd get the, it was kind of like first was the straight heterosexual BDSM group. Mm -hmm. And then you start getting in the bikers and the, the you know, the rockers. And it just, you know, gradually, as time went by, it just kept diffusing out into the, the mainstream. And right. then when that book hit in 89, the thing just went nuts. Blew up, I'm sure. Yeah. Did you find that when you started kind of crossing boundaries between this group to this group to this group, were any of them intimidated by the sexuality factor of it? I don't know whether it was the sexuality aspect so much as they kind of just thought it was weird or, or freaky, you mm -hmm. know, which is kind of odd coming from freaky kind right. of odd freaky people anyway um, it was just something that they that they didn't quite grasp mm -hmm. but eventually you know it was like as they became more familiar with it and I used to do uh, I remember quite 
regularly doing presentations and demos at different uh, organizations. Uh, the Avatar, which was a gay SM club, uh, the Society of Janus, which was a, a mixed club. Uh, it's still in existence uh, in San Francisco. It had a chapter in LA at the time, which then in time became, uh, changed their name to Threshold mm -hmm. and kind of went off on their own, split from the Society of Janus. Um, and then as they got to, you know, actually see it and realize that, hmm, maybe this is something that, <laughs> something here I might actually be interested in. This may have something to offer me. This may be something that will make my sexuality more fun. Mm. So it did grow. And uh, baby steps, it began to gain acceptance. Mm -hmm. um, it took <laughs> a number of years. I'm sure, yeah. Reinforcing the message. Mm -hmm. but uh, So when, when someone would come in and they'd say, I want something to improve my, my sex life, but I, I don't really know what. Like, what were some of your... Your go-to's like was it your personal favorites or was it something like you would you would look at someone's anatomy and be like you know I think this would fit you well I think this would fit you well or, or how did you steer them towards what would become their their choice for what they got? Well, it, in those early years, it was still a learning experience mm -hmm. for me. Um, I personally thought, and a lot of the feedback came from Doug. Mm -hmm. And of course, and to be honest, so much of his input, I think, was made up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but well, at least it was entertaining. It was very entertaining. But you know, from my own experience, I found that he was right about some of these things. Uh, Prince Alberts do feel good. Mm -hmm. uh, frontal piercings feel good. And you t speak with women whose partners have these piercings. I mean, it's never, you know, 100%. Right. It depends on the anatomy of the individuals involved. Mm -hmm. But a lot of women said, gee, that really feels good. And traditionally speaking, the ampullang and the apodravia, which are, you know, vertical and horizontal, or horizontal piercings through the penis head, mm -hmm. um, those tradi in traditional societies uh, were primarily for the benefit of the woman. Right. So, but we started out primarily with Prince Alberts and Frenums. Those were our two go-tos. Mm -hmm. um, occasionally we would get, Ampelangs and Apodravias are pretty extreme for most people, most yeah, guys. Yeah, I would, I would include myself in that list. Yeah. Yeah. And so we didn't do very many of them. Uh, Dido's, hmm. Um, I learned how to do them. I had them for a while. I personally found them overly stimulating to mm. the point of being painful. Okay. Uh, but I know everybody's different. You know, what is unpleasant for me is a big turn on for somebody else. Mm -hmm. I remember one client that I did a geesh on who said, told, to, said to me, if a man had a clit, this would be it. <laughs> And when Do you I think had that's mine, related, though, because you, you had your technique to find the most sensitive spot for it? Um, I think there's still a lot of debate on that. Mm -hmm. At least as far as... I haven't talked to a million people. Mm -hmm. 
I know Fakir has his own little technique for finding the spot, which I'm not totally convinced. Mm. I always uh, came to the approach that that placement really, to a large extent, has to be practical. Mm -hmm. uh, does the man wear a cock ring, for instance, for sex? Mm -hmm. Well, you don't want your geese piercing interfering with that. Right. And there's kind of a little triangle in there. The back of the scrotum and the legs form this sort of triangle. Mm. And my object was to find the center of that triangle if I could. Okay. Um, and hopefully that's sensitive. Yeah. <laughs> because if you are, you know, if it's constantly irritating you right. from walking yeah. or it gets in your way during sex, then what's the point? Right, it's just not it doesn't matter. It, it yeah. doesn't matter whether it's in the right spot or not. Mm -hmm. uh, so. What about some of the some of the placements? Something like a dido was that inspired by something like a traditional placement, or was it th just through experimentation of saying, "Well, there's you know there's the glands. Why don't we try?" I believe the didos were something that Doug Malloy made up. Mm -hmm. um, I know that he made up the name. Mm -hmm. He told me so. Yeah, he said he was uh, he this he was kind of free associating, uh, trying to come up with a name, and it was a, he thought of Kodak. Okay. And uh, somehow or other that inspired him with Dido, right. I don't know. Some little two syllables that rolls off the tongue. Kind right. Of yeah. I think he made this up. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, there is no, no historical documentation whatsoever. Mm -hmm. But Doug made up this wonderful story about how there was this group of Jewish students uh, in a, some university there. It's in in his uh, his what was the book? The Art of Pierced Penises. Mm -hmm. That was it. Was also went by other names like the the Diary of a Piercing Freak. Mm -hmm. um, but in that, he talks about this group of Jewish students who wanted to regain some of the sensitivity they had lost when from being circumcised. Okay. And they, as I recall, I think they were medical students. I, it's been a while since I've read it. But at any rate, they came up with this piercing mm. to do that. I think the whole thing is made up. That, that sounds a little phony, but it's still, it's a good story. Oh, and Doug himself was a master of stories. Right. Uh, I may have said this before, but when we were in our early days, he maintained that Roman centurions wore rings in their nipples. And I pointed out to him that was highly unlikely, yeah. not to mention unsafe, and that most likely the rings were in a breastplate. Mm -hmm. And he says, mm, it doesn't matter. It makes a good story. <laughs> yeah, uh, it definitely does. Um, so... I don't really know what else to ask. I mean, so how much of it was experimentation and finding things that, that didn't work? Were there any piercings that are kind of just like lost to history? Like we tried it, we found that it didn't really work, and we moved on. I remember one of the early members of the TNP group who wanted a, what is now called a transcrotal. Mm -hmm. But of course we now know that you can't just put a 
piercing through this scrotum mm-hmm. and expect it to heal. Right. Um, and he was very insistent on wanting to try it, so we did. Mm-hmm. And of course, as you can expect, expect mm-hmm. it did not heal. Right. And eventually, he had to abandon it. I mean, nowadays we know that it can be done surgically, mm-hmm. and uh, I've met people who have it. But you don't just put a hole through the scrotum and a right. piece of jewelry and expect it to heal. Yeah. If only you could. I yeah. probably have one, but I'm not about to go through the other route for it. No. Um, I mean, yes, Drew, what are you thinking? Oh, I'm thinking there are stories about customers that came into the shop with special requests to enhance their experience in terms of clothing or, or procedure. Maybe you could uh, share some of those. Sure, that'd be great. I'm not quite sure what you're... Well, there, there was a truck driver that looked like a truck driver mm-hmm. that came into the store once in full makeup and little Mary Jane shoes and got a genital piercing. And it's just, it's what made it a special experience for him. Mm-hmm. And there were uh, times when leather guys would come in where the, the dom wanted the sub to get pierced and the sub wanted it as well, but wanted a bit of an SM setting. Mm-hmm. So um, within the parameters of maintaining a, a, a safe and clean environment, they might have the the sub handcuffed or something like that. Right. So you were accommodating to people that were trying to make it part of like a, a scene for themselves. We tried. I mean, we it was never an overt sexual thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I felt that was unprofessional. Right. But I wanted to be as accommodating as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we generally would make an appointment for after hours. And the same thing with sometimes people would want to do a little ritual of some sort, turn it into a ritual. Um, For me, it was always about keeping it clean and keeping it hygienic. Right. Um, Which, those things are not always easy within certain contexts, particularly like an SM scene. Right. So maybe the Dom wants to participate Depends on the piercing, where it is, how they want it done. You know, you don't want somebody's mouth on something that's <laughs> right, right, uh, freshly pierced. Or you know, there are these these parameters. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a matter of just knowing. Okay, these are these are the conditions under which I will do this. Mm-hmm. If that's okay with you, fine. If not, then you'll have to find somebody else. Right. Yeah, I think um, that kind of accommodation is also kind of being pushed out of a lot of studios. You know, there, there are piercers who are much more open-minded to accommodation like that. You know, Pat Pierce is definitely someone that would jump out of my mind thinking about that. But um, if you try to subtly, overtly, you know, suggest that it's not appropriate. Your sexuality is not appropriate, so I don't want to help you enhance that. Um, I, I, I would certainly say that there are lines of professional boundaries, but I've had people come in who, you know, they're not wearing their, their work clothes. They're wearing their, they come in as themselves, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, whether that's um, 
dressing up a certain way or, or bringing in a partner or you know they want to be talked to a certain way or someone someone will come in ahead of time and be like I'm gonna bring someone in for you to pierce you are not to talk to them you are only to talk to me something like that you know like I, I think that that's an important thing to not be intimidated by you, mm-hmm. know, you can still be a professional and you can say I'm sorry that's not a, a service we offer but if someone comes in you don't want to be like oh no ooh, I don't know what you're what you know you don't want to step on someone's no, sexuality right i mean i i remember an instance where a master brought in his quote slave uh, a woman of i mean of age you know she was not that young and he wanted to have her pierced i don't remember the specific piercings but it really became clear to me that she didn't want them right and this was not a case of her really giving consent. She wasn't consent. acting out of fantasy. She was being kind of she was being coerced. coerced. Right. And I said no. I did not want to partake in that. Uh, that's not what it was about. Right. So, absolutely, you have to set boundaries, and you have to maintain your integrity. Right. Right. So, what would you say to the younger generation of piercers who were intimidated by sexuality in, in body piercing. <laughs> Maybe you should uh, think about getting another profession <laughs> because sexuality is just a part of you. But whatever you do, you're going to encounter it. It's, it's such a, an ingrained part of human nature. Mm-hmm. And it's an even bigger ingrained part of the culture we live in. So, and unfortunately, we live in a country that tends to still be a bunch of Puritan prudes. Mm-hmm. Um, until you're willing to shed that and move beyond your comfort zone, you better be go take a job in a bank. Right. One of, one of my favorite experiences when I was younger in my in my career. Uh, there were lots of it was it was tattoo studios that sometimes offered piercing. You know they they weren't piercers, and uh, you know I considered myself as a, a piercer from a very young age. And uh, when I would interact with people that worked in different studios, they'd be like, "Oh yeah, you know there's a bunch of stuff that that we won't do." So it's like if you want to do it, you can do it. And I'd be like, "Well, like what?" And they're like, oh, "We're not gonna we're not gonna touch dicks or anything." And I was like, "Why?" And I was like, "Jerk, call me whenever somebody wants that, and I'll, I'll come in." You know and um, I, I took pride on being like, well, you know, why should you be intimidated just, you know, because you're piercing something here versus here, uh, you know, you should be a, a, a piercer and be well-rounded. If you're capable of it and if it's safe and if the person can heal it, why would you say no just because of, of your personal hang-ups? And I would always ask them, I'd be like, well, would you pierce a woman if she wanted something? And they'd be like, well, yeah, of course. And be like, well, you know, uh-huh. how is that a professional line to draw? You have to approach it very much as if you were a medical professional. You just have to see people as people. Mm -hmm. And you have to kind of, whatever your own sexuality is, yeah, I thoroughly love love to pierce other gay men, but that's not how I get my jollies, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, And... I'm more than comfortable piercing a woman. I have no no issue. I'm not interested in going to bed with her. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, I approach it as if I were a doctor. 
dealing with a, a patient. Right. And if you cannot step back and do that, I don't see how you can be in this business. Right, right. Well, you know, hopefully people, I think people are freaked out by the age of call-outs and consent, harassment, things like that. And I, I completely agree that you need to be sensitive and you need to be respectful and you, you need to be a professional. But, you know, like in the UK especially, they're, a lot of them are terrified to even discuss genital piercings. You know, they have different legal issues oh, there, I, which I, I can aware of, totally yes. understand. But, you know, I don't, I don't like to see younger piercers not, not thinking below the belt. You right. know, uh, it, don't be intimidated and, and don't limit yourself in that way because, you know, body piercer, you know, there's a lot of body that you mm -hmm. have to be familiar and comfortable with. Well, and of course, if somebody comes in and says, I want a genital piercing or a nipple piercing, that to me is con consent mm -hmm. or the equivalent of consent. Right. And of course, you talk about, well, making suggestions. Well, have you thought about? Mm -hmm. You aren't saying you need to do this. Right. You're just saying, maybe you need to think about this. Right. Yeah. Well, cause here are some of your other options. Yeah. You know, yeah. Here, it, here is the buffet. Right. Yeah. Pick what you want. Take the plate. Take what you like. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes people find their own sexuality through thinking about their body in different terms. And you know, if those people had never considered maybe a genital piercing, and then they start to consider it, like I love that. I love. Mm. I love being part of that in someone's Certainly. life. Yeah. Enriches it. It enriches their lives and their perspective. Right. Right. What you think, Drew? Well, my thought was that when I pierced. Um, you know, if you're heterosexual and you're piercing a woman, what if she isn't your type mm -hmm. and you don't find her attractive? I mean, it, that's not what providing that service in a shop is about, of whether you find your your uh, customer erotically right, attractive appealing, or not. Yeah. You're providing a service, and whether it's a woman that's not your type, or if it's a man that's not your type because you're straight, either way, you're providing a service to that person and what turns you on or doesn't shouldn't come into it. No. Yeah. Well, when I when I say sexuality and piercing, you know, I certainly want to wouldn't want to imply that it's like this creepy, you know, lunging sexuality. You know, it's like everybody has their own sexuality, and you can you can reinforce someone else's sexuality, but you you wouldn't ever want to overstep those boundaries of making your sexuality part of their experience. No. You know. Yeah. Because that's. That's not where no. professionalism comes in. No, not at all. Yeah, yeah. So I think this is a, a, a good talk. Is there anything else you want to add to it? Nothing comes to mind. Anything okay. come to your mind? Uh, I'm, I'm sure I'll probably harass you in a few weeks or months about other other questions. But for now, I think this is good. All right. So um, one more time, where, where would people find your book if they wanted to pick up a copy? Uh, the book is called Running the Gauntlet. Uh, and the URL is www.runningthegauntlet-book.com. Okay, great. Right, well, thanks for talking to me, and now we can My pleasure. go and nap and get ready for the madness of banquet. All right, thanks, Jim. I always appreciate it when you have some time to talk to me. Uh, thanks also to Drew for talking about some of those subjects as well. Um, I'm trying to get this audio uh, recorded while I've got a steamroller going past my house outside. So I basically wait for them to take a break and then I try to record some stuff. But uh, not exactly easy to edit an audio file when they're paving the street out in front of your house. 
Um, some really good news, something I've been really excited to try to get done for quite a while. Um, the podcast is officially available on Spotify. So you can go ahead, you can follow, you can download, you can listen on Spotify on any of your devices. Really excited to uh, get the opportunity to be on there. Hopefully I can get some some new listeners. Um, I've gotten kind of an explosion of listeners in the last couple of weeks, last couple of months. I remember a while ago, you know, when I was first kind of getting my legs under me with this podcast, I remember hitting 5,000 listens and I was like, oh my God, 5,000 listens. Um, and at this point, I'm getting uh, about five or 6,000 listens a month, which, you know, I, I feel like is pretty good for just some random guy sitting around in his uh, home office in, in Nashua, New Hampshire. So thank you so much for everybody who's listening. Um, let's keep this going strong. You know, I, I was kind of at a point where I didn't really want to do weekly episodes anymore, but, um, you know, just through all the different interactions I've got, all the different people who reach out and uh, let me know that they enjoy the podcast, you know, it's, it's keeping me going. So um, I really didn't get as many opportunities to record a conference like I wanted to. I got the interviews with Caitlin and Jim. I got a, an interesting interview with Lucas Zapira that I'm going to get up in another week or two. And I got a couple little short form ones, you know, three, four, five minutes here and there. But I didn't really have much time, honestly. I, I'm very sorry, but I was like nonstop busy all week. But um, I did line up a few online interviews over the next few weeks. So all those people that I wanted to talk to, I'm still going to talk to them. It'll just be over Skype. And I'm still going to get those interviews up and ready for you. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited for all those conferences coming up in the fall. UKAPP. Uh, BMXNet in Germany and Camp APP in Atlanta. Uh, I'm definitely going to get a lot of interviews for you there. And then I really want to just kind of like get going full force on my seminars again. Canada is probably my top priority somewhere around the Toronto area, somewhere in Ontario. I'm not exactly sure where yet. Uh, I've got some other ones going on. I think I'm probably going to stick to the U.S. other than that Toronto class. Uh, I think maybe the L.A. area and maybe Portland. I think I would really, really like to get a class in Portland sometime before the end of the year if possible. Um, and then next year, I've already got a pretty significant list of, of places that I want to go and teach. Um, Tennessee, Ohio, uh, British Columbia, Canada, maybe go back to the UK, maybe try something in Europe, maybe around Amsterdam. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm going to keep it going and, and see what I can make of it. So thank you again for all your support. Um, for anyone who came up and talked to me at the APP conference, thank you very much. I, I really do honestly appreciate it. Uh, if you have any suggestions for how to make the show better, you can uh, reach out to me um, on the, the Facebook page or you can email me, ryanpba at gmail.com. I have no idea what next week's episode will be, but I will have something up for you next week. So come on back and I'll see you then. For more information about the show, visit piercingwizardpodcast.com or like Piercing Wizard Podcast on Facebook. For more info about your host, visit precisionbodyarts.com or search Ryan PBA on Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr. If you enjoy the show, you can subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcast, and Google Play. Music by Benny B. Blanco. Show copyright 2017, Precision Body Arts, LLC. All rights reserved. <laughs>